Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, I wanted to let you know that I have a Patreon page now so that you can support the show. Check out patreon.com forward slash BTBPC and check out the cool stuff you can get for as little as two bucks per month. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening. Speaking of Patreon, I want to thank Steve Frito for being my first Patreon subscriber. Thank you, Steve. Steve is a personal friend who you can see frequently on the BTB Internet Talk Show. Steve is very supporting of the arts and started GoProv, an improv troupe in Goshen, Indiana, several years ago. Steve is also a big part of Art House in Goshen. Art House provides audiences screenings of independent films as well as great live entertainment. Thank you so much, Steve, for your financial and moral support. Be on the lookout for more cool stuff for my Patreon subscribers. Can you say merch? Dan Bublitz, how's it going? It is going very well today. I I really appreciate you doing this little experiment with me. We were talking before we went live about uh, the issues I've had with sound, and I I'm very picky about my podcast having good sound because I've stopped listening to podcasts in in my life just because I couldn't handle the sound. So I really want them to sound good. And I've had a few bad experiences. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do a speed round where I ask you a few of the questions that everybody wants to know and give you a chance to uh, plug some stuff. And then we're going to go to another method of recording and do the rest of the podcast. So folks, hang on. This is going to be my first try at this and we'll have some fun. I'm the guinea pig. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to have another podcaster as a guinea pig. It really is because we know the the trials and tribulations of all this. (laughs) So first first question, Dan, where are you from? Uh, Well, I'm based in St. Paul, Minnesota now, uh, but originally I'm from South Dakota. That's where I grew up. And I lived in California for a while, too. So Okay. Okay, cool. How long have you been in St. Paul? A little over a year, actually. We just okay. uh, moved here last April. Okay. Okay, cool. When did you start doing stand-up comedy? At what age were you? I was 31, just about to turn 32. Okay. So it'll be it'll be 10 years for me in September. Okay. What? Um, so you've been doing it for 10 years. What prompted you to start doing stand-up comedy? A divorce. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the short answer. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, but yeah, so it was, I, I just had went through a divorce and, uh, I'd been married for 12 years. So it was, you know, a, a substantial amount of time to be married. And at, the, I just felt like I, you know, at the time it felt like it was all those years were wasted. You know, as I've gotten older, I realized that they weren't because 
you know, that marriage and that person helped shape me into who I am today. It was a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, after the divorce, immediately after, I felt like I wasted 12 years and I didn't want to waste any more of my life. Uh, so stand up was something I always wanted to do, but I never pursued because I got married young and then, you know, got a job and we we're doing the whole, you know, house, cars, you know, all that jazz. And so I never really pursued it. And I, like I said, I was at this point where I didn't want to, I didn't want to be one of these guys that, you know, when I was in my sixties, I'd look back on life and wonder what if I would have done a thing. And yeah. instead I changed my thought process to, I want to look back and be like, well, that's how that went, whether good or bad, at least I know. And I gave it a shot. So yeah. that's what inspired me to do it. Right. That, that's that's great and i i totally feel what you're talking about because i was you know 19 years behind you i was 50 when i started but i'm glad i did so that's uh you know we we've got that in common so as far as comedy influences who who would you say were your influences uh do, regarding stand-up comedy well i mean it obviously kind of changed i mean when I first started, you know, I was always a fan of, you know, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, George Carlin, all, you know, all the, the, the classics. Um, but as I kind of started getting more into stand up and discovering other stand ups, you know, Mike Berbigula is somebody that I feel really influenced by because he's a storyteller. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of storytelling kind of comedy. I'm more storytelling than I am, you know, one-liners and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's, his comedy's big, been kind of big. I'm also, uh, John Mulaney is another one because he's a really good storyteller uh -huh. and things like that. So have um, you uh, listened to Mike's podcast? I have not. No, not yet. I believe it's called working it out. I, I mm -hmm. highly recommend it. Mulaney's one of his first guests and it's yeah, it was good. I believe he started it on Instagram. Actually, he was mm -hmm. doing it as an Instagram live. Yeah. Yep. yep. And uh, it's 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 really cool. I mean, he he's got it structured in a certain way because that's the way he has to do things. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just the type of guy he is. But he does a really good job with it. I really enjoy it. So tell me about the first time you did stand up. What was that like? Really scary. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, another because another thing with me getting into stand up comedy, it was also overcoming a fear. Uh, I've because like in high school and growing up, I had a fear of public speaking, so, you know, in high school, giving speeches, that kind of thing. I would get real nervous and I, you know, get stuttery and I wasn't good mm -hmm. at presenting in front of groups of people. I just had this fear. So part of doing stand up was getting over that. So for me, the first time I did it, it was very scary. You mm. know, like I, I remember crystal clear when they called my name, I walked up on stage and I stood behind the microphone and I looked out into the crowd and I saw all these people sitting out there and I thought, Oh crap, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and then I picked up the mic and I, I did a joke and got a few laughs, and then I was like, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's and great. then from there, you know, it just got it it's gotten a lot easier. Now I have no problem with public speaking at right. all. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that that tends that tends to happen after you've done it a few times. Yeah. But I also, you know, it's not like I just went up on a whim. Like I was very 
I wanted to be very prepared. Like mm-hmm. I didn't do, I wasn't probably the best comic that night at that open mic, but I also didn't do terrible because I spent, because when I started where and where I started, there was only one open mic and it was a monthly open mic and it was a couple hours from where I lived. So I actually signed up in like June or July for the September open mic. Like I could have got up in the summer, but I was like, I'm not ready. Uh And then once I knew I was going to be doing this open mic in September, I just started writing. So like every day I was writing my material. Then once I got what I thought I was going to do for the five minutes, I, you know, I was rehearsing it all the time and Mm. and in front of my, my, at that time, my girlfriend there, she was out, you know, she would listen to me go through my set. I was very rehearsed uh, because I wanted to be very prepared because another Mm. thing that I didn't realize with comedy you know, you go to an open mic now and people are looking at notepads, looking at phones, things like that. Well, the only thing I knew about comedy is what I saw on TV. And you never saw that people using notebooks and things like that right. on Comedy Central. And so I didn't to me, that wasn't allowed. So I memorized all my jokes. So when I went up that first time, I did not have a sheet of paper, but it was like a script. It was on, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to do it basically word for word so it's very tight (laughs) yeah Yeah, being being prepared you know it's it's a double-edged sword you you put so much work into it that it makes that first time super scary because you've put so much of yourself into it or Mm -hmm. you go up and just say i'm just gonna i'm just gonna riff i'm gonna uh i've got these ideas i'm gonna try to flush them out on stage and and i've done i've done that i've done both and they're they're both scary but um the anticipation going into that first set is just it's it's numbing it's it's scary as hell (laughs) yeah well and it's it really was for me too because i had a lot of uh, friends and family that came you know Mm -hmm. which I was surprised. Even my dad was at the very first open mic. And for Mm. that, to me, that was shocking that he would even consider it because (laughs) it was in the middle of the week and he works and just, I I was shocked that he did. And uh, so, yeah, so like I had friends and family that drove all the way there. So it was like, man, if I really botched this, you know, like that's bad. (laughs) Cause there's a, you know, quite a few people that went out of their way to see this. Right. Uh, and at some level, some of them probably were coming to hope to see that hopefully I would fail. <laughs> <laughs> some, some, I mean, true. yeah, yeah. My first, my first performance is on my YouTube page. Like, I still, oh, cool. yes, yeah. it, I keep it there. That first open mic because it's it's a good reminder. I, I I go back almost every year and kind of watch it because then I can see where I started to where I've come as far as stand-up goes and how i progressed as a performer and a writer and everything else uh-huh. so it's a, it's a good it's good to look back and compare you know through time it's it's funny because comics seem to be split like 50 50 on keeping their old stuff available on youtube or whatever they're using vimeo mm-hmm. You know, some of them are like you, you want that as a marker. So you, you know where you came from. And some people are like, I don't want anybody to see this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the only, I mean, I've definitely had other videos that I've had up there and then I'm like, oh, this is terrible. And then I, you know, I've deleted, I've been that guy too, but that was my very, very first time. Mm. And like I said, it wasn't horrible. You know, like Mm. 
I did okay that night. So, you know, if it would have been a total bomb where I didn't get any laughs and just totally booed off stage or something like that, no, I would not. Even, I probably wouldn't have even put it up on YouTube, yeah. you yeah. know, let alone keep it there for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> no but, doubt. Um, yeah. Last question for the speed round. Um, what comedy album or special would you consider your all-time favorite? Oh my gosh, that is tough. Um, my all-time favorite? Oof. Man, I don't I there's no way I can answer that just because I I have such an appreciation for comedy uh -huh. and there's been so many good specials over the time, you know, like mm -hmm. I actually just got uh Richard Pryor's Live on Sunset Strip on vinyl and I got uh one of John Mulaney's specials on vinyl just couple weeks ago you know mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean there's so many great specials I, it's hard to say what's the greatest you know okay to I me I, I mean and it changes over time that's the other thing yeah. you know as you know comedy specials come out you know and there's so many of them that have come out mm -hmm. um i mean i'm just trying to think of what i've seen recently that i thought was really good you know like i really enjoyed uh both of uh pat oswald's last two specials were really mm -hmm. good you know but so yeah i can't i can't put a top they're all also good yeah okay i won't i won't hold you to it uh that's good that's good that's good before before we get off of live here i um, have listened to your podcast uh, several episodes and you've been doing it for a while. Can you tell me a little bit about your podcast so other folks can find it? Yeah, absolutely. So my podcast is primarily a comedy podcast. Sometimes I do have other guests on it, but the it's called the art of bombing and the whole, the, the emphasis is in the bombing. It's basically, you know, our tagline is finding success through failure, because what we're doing is we're looking at a different perspective of performing arts. Uh, and we're looking at failure because a lot of podcasts, especially comedy podcasts, it's kind of the same, they kind of the same thing, you know, the interviews, or they look at, you know, what was your best show, blah, 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 blah. And they're looking at that kind of stuff. And I wanted to look at it from a different perspective, because for me, what it you know it was inspired by a show where i bombed really bad and i just was like i feel like you know i want to talk about this and i want to see if other people and as i've done the podcast i've realized that bombing is part of comedy like it yeah. is it is part of what we do so uh so yeah so it's basically that it's 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 what we do is i usually you know i have a guest like i said primarily it's a comedian and we talk about comedy we talk about you know they share a story of a time when they bombed and then we talk about you know what they learned from it how they've improved what they do to try to get better things like that um and you know and then we end up talking about all kinds of subjects. It's not always comedy. You know, we get on little tangents, you know, I've talked about movies and video games and comic books and all kinds of different things, depending on the different guests and things like that. But it's primarily focused about getting better at comedy. Okay, great. And I really have enjoyed listening to it. And I also enjoy the, the little mini episodes you do, um, the, that are instructional. You put one together about how to do a press kit. Um, you've, you've mm -hmm. done, put on a live show and stuff like that. And I, I want the people listening to know, listening and watching to know that 
a lot of comics have gotten on the podcast uh, bandwagon since the pandemic hit, but you've been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, I have. <laughs> I mean, I, we just celebrated uh, in May. I celebrated three years with the Art of Bombing podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're more of a veteran and uh, and you're not a Johnny come lately or just a newbie. So you, you do a very good job with it. Well, you can if you listen to the first episodes and, and compared to the most recent episodes, you can tell that I put some effort into the podcast because it has come a long ways because the yeah. first couple episodes are terrible as yeah. far as the content, the content and uh, the people that I talked with were great. But the the quality was terrible because, yeah. you know, the first one I recorded was with a comic out in Washington and it was with my phone on a mm-hmm. table outside of a bar yeah. you know and you can hear motorcycles <laughs> driving by and cars yeah. people talking and and things like that so the quality i uh, was terrible <laughs> yeah i i can totally relate to that i did a local podcast for years before i started this one and i made so many mistakes it was just mm-hmm. I was like, yeah i can i can record you uh outside of this uh outside of the <laughs> bar um i've got this great recorder and there won't be any noise at all and guess what? There's a lot. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And that's just it. Like over time, because, you know, I, like I said, the podcast, I I try to make a better product and I've taken, you know, feedback and criticism from people, you know, they're Mm -hmm. like, Hey, you should maybe try this. And I was trying, I'm always trying to improve it. And that's one thing I, I put a lot into the podcast over the last few years, you know, from upgrading, you know, a lot of it's been upgrading equipment and things Mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, uh, and now now it sounds pretty good. Okay, okay, we're back at it. Um, for, first off, Dan, thanks for uh, helping me with the uh, speed round. Doing that for the first time, I think that was fun. Yeah, that was that was a good time. Yeah, and uh, I want to dig a little bit further into um, the fact that you always wanted to do stand up and. Uh, so we talked about the fact that uh, you got married young and did the did the whole go to work stuff and uh so that you know that delayed the whole starting stand up thing but let's talk about you as a kid and the first time that you thought stand up was cool well Honestly, as a kid, I wasn't necessarily into stand-up comedy as much as I was uh, sketch comedy. Uh, I was—I've okay. always been a big fan of uh, you know um, Saturday Night Live and uh, Kids in the Hall and a lot of those sketch type shows. Mm. So those were, and even even in Living Color and things like that, I loved sketch comedy. Um, but then as I got old, you know, kind of older and in my early twenties, I just had, you know, kind of a more of appreciation for uh standup comedy. Mm-hmm. And though, when you were, uh, getting that appreciation for standup comedy were, was this when you were in South Dakota? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I lived in South Dakota a majority of my life. Okay. Uh, in fact, I did not move away from South Dakota until I was 32 years old. So yeah. for the first 32 years of my life, uh, aside from like one spell where I moved for like two months, I moved to Minnesota mm. briefly. So I don't even count it. It was that short. <laughs> I, I lived in South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> the I, I asked this because 
you know, I, I've been in Indiana all my life and it seems like one of the only States that, uh, gets current with stuff later than Indiana would be South Dakota <laughs> because it's just so, it's just so out there, you know? Oh yeah. There's, we, you know, there's always those jokes about where you live, but it's like everything seems like 10, uh, South Dakota is like 10 years in the past with everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so were you behind on everything? <laughs> yeah. Were you small town, South Dakota or a big city? Uh, well, <laughs> okay. Let's, Let's not get carried away with big cities. There's not really <laughs> big cities in South Dakota anyway. I mean, the largest city doesn't even have 200,000 people, you know, and yeah. when you compare that to like a Minneapolis or, you know, cities like that. It's pretty small in comparison. But mm. the city that I did grow up in was a it, it wasn't like a small, small town, but it wasn't it was one of the larger towns in South Dakota when I was growing up. It's mm. not now, but you know, I lived in a town of about 20,000 people. Okay. Yeah. You, uh, you probably had a stoplight and a McDonald's then, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We had, see my town didn't even have that. So <laughs> <laughs> they've got, they've got a stoplight now because enough people got killed at that intersection, but, uh, still no McDonald's. <laughs> that's usually, <laughs> that's usually what it takes. Yeah. <laughs> So, I shouldn't laugh at that. Yeah, I know, but the, you know, it's it's what it is. But it's true. Yeah, yeah. My brother almost died at that intersection. He got t-boned, and oh. um, and his car was just total. I don't know how he even survived it, but uh, he came out without much, even a scratch. So it was, but it's got a stoplight now, so everybody's safe. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, they also put a bypass around it so nobody goes through it now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, like, uh, like, uh, oh, I gotcha. They put a bypass. Okay. Yeah. It's so like, uh, have to go through that intersection anymore. Yeah. I was it, thinking of a roundabout. Yeah. Well, this is an actual bypass and it goes, it goes right through, uh, I can see m the home I grew up in on it. And it's, it's funny because I, uh, I drove to Indianapolis for work and, uh, when I lived in India and I was dating my wife, she was up here. I made that drive so many times and now there's a bypass around my little town, the little town after it and all the way around Kokomo. And that drive is like 45 minutes less because of those bypasses now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> If, if I would have only had them when I was younger, but, uh, I'll take them now cause we still fly out of Indy quite a bit. So it's, it's a much, much shorter drive. So thinking, good. so thinking about, um, when you did start now, you talked about in the speed round that, uh, you came out of divorce and decided you wanted to, um, you know, start, start doing the stuff that you dreamed about. Did you think about what kind of a comic you wanted to be? Oh no, I had no clue. I didn't even know what there was different kinds. I mean, I was so naive when I started because like I said, the only thing I knew about stand-up comedy was really what I saw on TV. I mean, you got to figure I always lived in smaller towns, so there wasn't like necessarily live access to live comedy. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I was in my 20s, there was one time when I almost started doing stand up and it was again, uh, my wife and I had a big fall, big falling out and we kind of separated for a couple of days. And, you know, we were 
you know, we're very young in our marriage. And so there was, you know, a potential that we were going to split up. And during that time, that short, you know, split, I ended up, I went to a live comedy show with a buddy. Cause I was like, Hey, you know, I kind of want to do stand up. Let's go, let's go to this live show. And we, we went and watched a live comedian and we were kind of writing some ideas down, you know, not from that show, but we just wanted to kind of see what live stand-up comedy was. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of started, uh, you know, bouncing some ideas down for, you know, maybe doing some writing and, and stuff to uh, maybe kind of pursue it. But then we got back together and I pretty much threw it back on the back burner again. (laughs) Did your, did your friend pursue it? No, nope. Okay. Nope. And it's funny too, though, because at the time he had just got out of college uh, and he had a degree in creative writing. So if we would have, um, if we would have did something together, it, you know, it probably would have been pretty good, but mm. he ended up, uh, now he's a nurse in Alaska. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, good for him. Somebody has got to do it. Yep. <laughs> so thinking about the, you know, you don't know exactly what you want to be and you, you do that, that first time, what notes did you take from that first time of doing stand up? Uh, and also what prompted you to do the second time? Uh, well, honestly, the, the, as soon as I got a decent laugh, the first time I was immediately hooked. Mm-hmm. Like it was that it was, it, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure it's, you know, people have talked about this in comedy that uh, the adrenaline rush from making people laugh and being on stage is probably very similar to, you know, being addicted to drugs or, you know, having that rush from that kind of thing. And I I, I immediately felt it, you know, as soon as I got a laugh, I was like, all right, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I mean, I, I knew that from the very first time I did the open mic, like I said, when I walked out on stage, And I looked out into the audience and saw all those people. And I thought, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? (laughs) I took that breath. I told my first joke and I got a laugh and I was immediately like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And then I, you know, plowed my way through that. And then after that, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a matter about getting myself to go back up because I already knew this is what I wanted to do. So Mm. now it was more of a matter of how can what do I got to do? to go back up because at the time, like I said, uh, that particular open mic was only once a month and there's not like, you know, there wasn't a ton of, there wasn't even a comedy scene. Ascent. I mean, really, I mean, there was people, there was a handful of comics that were doing these monthly open mics and sometimes they would get, uh, they would get to open at the, the local comedy club at the time mm. on the weekends. But a lot of those people also worked at the club as a dishwasher or whatever. So, uh, or a bus boy and things like that. So there's a lot more to than just getting to host or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was a matter of just trying to find when I could do it. And I was working a full-time job at the time. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So basically, you know, that, that open mics a couple hours away, it's, it's once a month. How long did you do that before you said, I want, I want more and started looking for other places to do it? I almost immediately decided that, like, I mean, I knew that I couldn't be, you know, because I, I, like I said, I had the full-time job, so it was harder for me to go drive there and then drive back, get up to go to work the next day, that kind of thing. So 
I immediately kind of started looking at my options and, you know, I started producing within my first six months of, you know, doing a show. Like I, at the time when I started comedy, I lived in Watertown, South Dakota, which is a small town. Uh, it's about an hour and a half North of Sioux Falls and Sioux Falls is the, that's the biggest city in South Dakota. Mm. That's where the comedy club was. That's where I did my first open mic, you know, et cetera. And, uh, I, you know, I just knew I couldn't go back and forth all the time. And so I started looking at setting up my own open mic and my own show where I lived. And so I did that right away. And I did like a monthly open mic and I would, and and I ended up, you know, I did it as an experiment. It did really good. And then I started bringing in like regional headliners and features. So Mm -hmm. what we would do we would charge a cover. We'd have an open mic. Cause most of the people too, that would come to this open mic were just to perform. We're just my friends. that thought this was cool and wanted to try stand up too. Mm-hmm. None of them are still doing it. Uh-huh. You know, they, they were just, Oh, this is cool. Let's try it. And they all kind of gave it a try. And then after I moved, it kind of went away, but <laughs> they, you know, it, it, we would have an open mic. So people, if they wanted to go up, they could. And then we'd have a, you know, feature or headline or close out the show. Mm-hmm. Did you, um, when, when you're doing just the open mic that you produced, did, were there any diamonds in the rough? Did, did somebody really stand out to you? Oh, there was a quite a few people that stood out. I mean, one, one that, and, and he was already kind of doing comedy anyway. He had a background in improv and he still does comedy. He's run, run of my, you know, really good friends, mm-hmm. which is uh, Nathan Holtz, who we kind of started close to the same time, but he was always really funny. You know, and there was a couple other people that aren't doing comedy now that did kind of stand out that would have been funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably could have did well with it. I mean, their material was a little risky, but, you know, uh, we actually that same friend that I'm talking about, he came with me to that first open mic and that open mic too. the other thing I forgot to mention is the first open mic that I did was also like a contest. So oh, okay. they would pick like the top two whoever you know got voted the best or whatever and then they would come back at the for the season championship or whatever Uh which you know so they would do so they would do like seven or eight months of this monthly open mic slash contest and then all the winners would come back for an annual contest and then the winner would get to do some mc work or something like that okay um but my friend that came with me he ended up winning our night oh wow he made made it into the finals Uh uh-huh uh, th- that's really cool. So, yeah. So it, it's funny. It, I feel like a lot of people who think that they could be a good comic are the ones who would never be a good comic, but there's a lot of people out there that don't even know that they've got that in them. Um, and if they just went up once, they could be a great comic. Uh, yeah, I would say that to some extent. That's probably true. I mean, there have been instances where somebody went up on a bet and did really good. But, you know, the the other thing is there's a lot of structure in comedy and people can go up and maybe be funny for five minutes one time. And then the next time they go try to copy that or mimic it. And then they're not that funny. Mm-hmm. And then they realize, oh, wait, I'm not good at this because I just had that one fluke. You know? Yeah, I actually have to put some structure into this and, and try to actually write a setup and write a punchline, things like that. Right. That's, that's why you get so many two timers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. First one's good. First time, second one's bad. <laughs> I'm out of here. 
It's funny. We, uh, in, in South Bend where our club is the, the drop comedy club, we had a guy that, um, I saw, I saw go up twice and he was just awful and he moved to Michigan and he came back and did a set and it was like a totally different person. He was hilarious. And I asked him, I, I, I said, you know, what, what happened? And he said, well, you know, first of all, I knew I was terrible. So I, I stopped and didn't go to open mics for a while and started writing and then practiced and came back to it and totally changed. I mean, his, his act was completely different. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's cool yeah. when people, when they have enough, um, I guess, self-awareness to, to know that, you know, I suck, but, uh, I can be better and I still want to do this and they keep at it. I, I always admire that. Well, and I think that's, and that's something you, for comedy, if you want to get good at comedy, you do at some level have to be pretty self-aware, you know, you have to, and that's, like I said, that's kind of what inspired my podcast is, is being Mm self-aware, you know, like I wanted, I was looking at what I was doing wrong and things like that and how to get better, you know? I think I was the same way. You know, I thought I actually six months after I started comedy, I moved out to California. I moved to San Diego. And my thought, of course, after doing a few mics and a couple guest spots on some shows around South Dakota that I was, oh, man, I was ready for the big time. I'm going to go to L.A. <laughs> and I'm going to be famous, you know. Uh-huh. And I ended up in San Diego just because the, the girl that I was dating or family lived there. So we ended up moving there. But which is close enough to to L.A., but I moved out there and I started going to a couple of their open mics and I was like, I am terrible. You know, <laughs> like I was seeing some of these guys that and and, and performers that were just amazing. Uh-huh. And it, and this is at open mics. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not this. I need to, you know, get better. And, uh-huh. that, you know, a lot of that is writing better and performing better and things like that. So. It also helps having the, the, you know, a good amount of stage time because that was another thing. I went from maybe being able to perform two, maybe three times a month if I was lucky. But typically it was one to two times a month mm-hmm. uh, to being able to per- perform two to three times a day, almost seven days a week. Yeah. You know, if I wanted. I mean, I because I had a girlfriend and things like that, I wasn't able to make that happen you know i had other obligations or whatever but if i wanted to i could have went real hard at it but Mm. even having you know the option to go up three or four times a week as opposed to one to two times a month you know you might you just you improve so much Mm. when you when you discovered that you know you you weren't the greatest thing since uh, applesauce in san diego did you how did you regroup? What what did you do to tighten up the writing, tighten up your sets and, and make yourself better? What, what process did you go through to get there? I listen is, I mean, that would be the, one of the biggest things is I listened. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean, I listened to other comics that were more experienced than me mm. you know and took advice on things you know if and and, and i and for me you know 
you granted we're in you know you're in com we're in comedy and ego's a big thing or whatever i try not to let my ego get in the way of anything like i try to stay as grounded as i possibly can mm-hmm. in all aspects i mean at some level there is ego because of you know performing in front of people for the instant gratification yada 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 but when uh a more experienced comic would give me advice or offer advice i wasn't gonna you know, you, I wasn't going to be a jerk and be like, well, I don't need your advice. I'm doing comedy on my own. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need, need no help. I'm the expert because uh-huh. <laughs> I wasn't, I'm not an expert. I'm new. And when you, you, when, you know, to get better at something, you got to do it for one, you know, practice makes perfect, but you also need to learn from people who have been doing it for a long time and who are good at it. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a thing about, you know, if you're in a comedy scene and you're, 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 hanging out with the comics that are the best in that scene, that's going to push you to want to be better too, because you're, you've got that competition, but it's, it's, it's not like a, like a, uh, like a necessarily uh, like a bad competitiveness where you're like out to get each other. It's, it's a good competitive where it's like, Oh, you're pushing each other to do better. It's Mm. like, Oh, my friend's really good. I need to get on his level, you know? So you, you work harder. Mm. Uh, But going back to the listening thing, you know, when I moved to San Diego, I started working with, uh, there was a production company out there that worked in a lot of venues. A lot of the shows that they did were in venues that were kind of all ages. And so they were very, um, they were, they, they really pushed, having clean and clever material that Mm. was always kind of the thing you know not a lot of profanity not being gross you know not a lot of shock comedy but being clever you know didn't mean that you couldn't talk about adult things it was how you worded it you know Mm. so working with them that helped improve you know my writing because now you know, like I said, when I started comedy, I had no idea the different kinds of comedy. I didn't know what shock comedy was. I didn't know there was a difference with political comedy or one liners or storytelling like none of this. You know, I didn't know any of this until you start getting involved in comedy and going to live shows and going to open mics and, you know, seeing other comics work. You know, And then you start realizing, oh, there's all these different things. Uh, so that was one of the biggest things for me. I did a lot of observing, you know, when mm-hmm. I went, I went to a couple mics out there before I even did my first open mic and just kind of watched just to see what I was getting into mm-hmm. and checked out some of the clubs and stuff. Um, but anytime somebody wanted to offer me advice that if I felt like I, you know, if they were somebody that, that had been doing comedy for a while or in somebody that, you know, definitely could respect I would listen to what they had to say. And even somebody that's new and doesn't, if somebody, you know, says, Hey, did you mind if I give you a tag? Sure. Mm-hmm. I'll check it out. I'm not necessarily going to use it. It might not, you know, somebody could give me a tag and it might be an okay tag, but it just doesn't fit my delivery style. Uh-huh. You know, that kind of thing. But I'm always willing to listen, you know, to, but let's be clear, that's to other comics, you know, uh-huh. like if some random stranger in the audience comes up and says, hey, I got a joke you can use. I instantly tune out, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like I don't I don't need your street joke. Right. Right. <laughs> that kind of thing. But but yeah, so a lot of it was listening, you know, taking advice and and listening. And I just working with that group alone, that improved me a lot because I had a lot of ticks that I didn't realize. And, you know, they made you had to audition 
for to to perform with them too mm. like which was kind of a weird thing but they would you know the if you you could they didn't do like the video thing they they insisted doing a live audition and a lot of times what it was is they would have a show after the show some of the other comics that they worked with regularly and the producers of that that the, that show would audition comics on you know after the fact you'd come up and do like a three to five minute audition in front of these veteran comics mm -hmm. and then they would kind of decide if they wanted to maybe use you for a little guest spot or something like that man that's got to um, be scary yeah, but they also <laughs> offered very good criticism. Yeah. You know, like I had a lot of ticks. One thing, you know, Chris Clobber is a comic that's been in San Diego for a long time. He's been doing comedy for like 30 years, you know, really good writer, very funny. And he was one of the, the producers of this show at the time. And he was good at, you know, pointing out things. And I had a lot of ticks that I didn't even realize I had. And like for one of the things is, when I was thinking of my next joke, I would look down a lot instead of looking into the audience mm. and being engaged with them. I was looking down or looking up or looking away. And he was like, I, you know, I see you doing this and I know it's because you're trying to think of your next joke, but even though you're, you're thinking of your next joke, you should still at least be looking into the audience. You don't necessarily have to make eye contact, but look out there because at least it looks like you're you're engaging with the audience mm -hmm. and then i started watching videos after he pointed that out and i was like holy shit oh sorry i don't know if i can swear but uh, yeah you can i was like holy crap you know wow i do that a lot that's terrible <laughs> and so i you know once i noticed i had that tick i started trying to correct it uh-huh that's you know the self-awareness you have is great. And the thing you talked about listening, it comes through so much in your podcast. Uh, the podcast is the art of bombing. I'm going to mention it a few times. I've listened to so many podcasts where the host has such a big ego that you can tell that they talk. I mean, they talk way more than their guest does. And mm -hmm. they, um, they either do that or they are asking questions just to get to the next question. So they're not even listening to the guest. Oh and yeah. They're it, just trying to get through the, the motions. Right. You know? And in your podcast, the art of bombing it is very engaging. I can tell that you really want to know what these folks have to say and that you want yeah. to learn from them. And I, I, I just, I appreciate that type of a podcast, um, because it, it draws me in. Um, I don't need star power for my, <laughs> for when I'm listening to podcasts, I want somebody who really is into it and wants to, wants to learn. And, uh, you really get a good episode and I, I haven't heard a bad one of yours yet. So well, I really Kudos appreciate that. that. I because I do put a lot of effort into that. Uh, just because for me, I love talking about it. That's one. So I'm very passionate about the subject material, and I feel like you know you can learn from everybody because everybody has a different perspective on how they look at success and how they look at failure and how they look at comedy and and how you know how they do their writing and just different things like that. And every perspective is a, you know, it's a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. And even I, you know, I've had guests on that have only been doing comedy for less than a year. And I've still been able to take something from that 
episode and that conversation that I didn't necessarily think about. And that's, it goes back to, like I said, the ego, you can't let ego get in the way. You know, if, if you let your ego get in the way of getting, you're not going to necessarily get better. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, you see somebody new and they, they, you know, they have a suggestion and you're like, well, you're new. You don't know anything about comedy. Well, you're right. They might not know a lot about comedy, but they are still a human being with a brain and a perspective and all these other things. So you can't just completely disregard them. I mean, they still have a life experience, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, something that I try to always keep in mind with things is just, you know, keep an open mind. And like I said, just listening and and to a suggestion or anything like that, it doesn't mean you have to take the suggestion, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> right. And put it in there. I've had plenty of, plenty of people give me some suggestions or tags or things like that. And, and I'm willing to try things. And sometimes I've tried it and then I just didn't like how it did it or how it worked. And I never did it again, but mm-hmm. you know, you know, to just completely disregard people because you think you're better than them or and even so because you've been doing comedy longer yeah. or whatever it's you know it's to me it's just not you're not going to necessarily get better because then what happens you see a lot of comics that get uh stale you know mm-hmm. and kind of stagnate you they they get there they build their half hour and then they get to their hour and it's the same hour for 20 years mm-hmm. they don't ever improve because yeah. that's all they know right you know the fact that you have people who've only been doing it for a, a year or less <laughs> I bet that that just totally improves them because when, when you have a voice and you have a conversation like this, you, you bring something out of it. You, you always get a nugget. You always learn something. And I bet that that has helped a lot of newer comics, uh, just get better at what they do. Oh, I absolutely think so. And the other thing too, it's great because while, I'll admit I'm not an expert at comedy, but I've been doing comedy a long time and I've had a lot of my own unique perspective, you know, experiences in comedy. I've produced, you know, podcasts. I produce some, some, you know, independent TV stuff. I produce comedy festivals, you know, I produce live shows. I've worked with celebrities. Like I have all these different things that I've done in my toolbox. So while I'm not necessarily an expert, not expert and I don't know everything, I, a lot of times when I have a newer comic on, I'm able to give them them nuggets too, because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, they'll have a, a perspective or whatever. And then we end up having a really good conversation where, you know, I'm like, well, you know, blah, 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 whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it, it's, it's, it is really good for newer comics. And then, and, and the, the great thing is too, especially if not just being a guest on it, but for people listening to the podcast, you know, newer comics, especially there's a lot of experience on that podcast mm-hmm. and not just my experience, you know, and, and it's not, you, you see all these interviews with, and that's why I like having, you know, comics of all levels and, and even, you know, celebrity comics and comics you've never heard of because you did a celebrity comic, they sure they've been probably doing comedy a while and in, in, in doing well, but a lot of comics that would be what would be considered celebrity comics, they might've worked the road, but they might not have worked the road a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're only a celebrity because they were living in LA doing TV, you know what right, I mean? Right. Which is a completely different experience, but 
then you get these comics that are road comics and nobody's ever heard of, but every weekend they're headlining shows and, you know, working their butts off. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of experience too, because, you know, and a different perspective. Yeah. So I, I feel exactly the same. I, I do try to get some celebrities on just because I want to get their perspective, but a lot of them don't remember, even if they were, they don't remember booking their own shows. They don't remember doing one-nighters at a VFW, you know, it, and if they do remember it, it's hazy. Um, so uh, the ones that are in the thick of it are the ones that are really doing all the nuts and bolts it takes to to survive being being a comedian. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um yeah, I yeah, I just it's and like I said, I it's all about perspective. That's what I really try to go for. I like to bring different perspectives because at the end of the day, the the whole objective behind the podcast is for everybody to get better, mm -hmm. learn from your mistakes, and apply what you learned to get better at the next show. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, being a uh, storyteller type comic. Tell me, tell me what kind of stories come up and what's happened in your life that has. Uh, you've been able to make funny. Well, uh, I mean, I, like I said, a lot of it is, uh, just experiences. It's just, it, it's kind of a cross between observational and storytelling, you know, like I, you know, a lot of my comedy too, I, I kind of do storytelling, a little bit of observational and self-degrading humor because, mm -hmm. you know, I can make fun of myself and if somebody else gets offended that I made fun of myself, well, that's on them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm making fun of me. You're okay to laugh at that. Yeah. You know, it's not where like I'm doing some racist material and being, you know, uh, insensitive to that, you know, like to a, a full race of people or something like that, you know? Mm. So you don't have to worry about getting in trouble either because you're not doing that kind of material. You know, you're focusing on yourself. Um, it does sound egotistic, but it's also it's hard to copy. You know, when uh -huh. I'm doing material about my life and my experiences, nobody else. I mean, they could steal the jokes word for word, but it's not going to come off as genuine because it's not their story to tell. Right. You know? So, you know, like I have a story about uh, getting a new security system at our house, you know, just because it was funny. A funny situation happened while we were getting the security system installed. And so then I just, you know, I exaggerate onto that story to make it even, a, you know, make it a little funnier. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I've had all kinds of different life experiences too. That's the other thing. Um, I've actually had a friend that was uh, kind of pointed it out to me and I didn't even realize it. And he was like, Dan, you know, you're, you've lived so many different lives. It's crazy because, you know, I was married for 12 years. Then I've also owned a business for a long time. I've worked different jobs. You know, I've lived in different places and like I've had all these different. Now I do comedy and I've had like all these little different lives, you know. And so it's easy to draw material from that kind of stuff. You know, I went through a really bad breakup and I did a whole one man show that that is, you know, I independently produced it. It streams on Amazon and YouTube. Uh shameless plug it was called it was supposed to be a love story okay uh but i took that whole i took that whole event that that whole relationship and turned it into a whole show you mm -hmm. know so uh so just That's really things cool. like that
Are we still Did here? I lose you? Yeah. Oh, no, I thought I lost you. <laughs> it, it, it actually sounded like a drop off, didn't it? It did. That's yeah. why I was like, because I had finished what I was saying, and then you didn't. I thought, oh, shoot, did yeah. we lose them? I, I still edited this out. <laughs> I actually thought I heard a click. So, yeah, well, whatever. Um, yeah. So doing doing all all this stuff, do you do you get yourself into uh, a habit of writing? Are you like a Seinfeld type writer where you sit down and make sure you write two hours a day or how, what's your writing style? I do not have a writing style that is like most people <laughs> in the fact that I don't, I don't actually sit down and physically write. In fact, I have joke books that barely have any jokes in them because I'm when I started, I was very strict and very pen to paper, mm. word for word, and then rehearsing the joke, which made me very tight on stage, very scripted. And I wasn't as loose. And you could see that. Um, and I have a... I've always had a really good memory. So a lot of times my writing process is when something I think is funny or I have a funny idea for a joke, I work the wording out in my head and kind of get how I want it. You know, I basically write it in my head and then I perform it on stage to get it out there and see how it sounds. And then I just, you know, I work on polishing it from there, Mm -hmm. changing it however I need to, you know, if, you know, if uh, a certain part doesn't get a laugh, why didn't it get a laugh? Oh, well, it's probably really wordy. And because of that, because I'm more of a storyteller, a lot of my jokes end up being very wordy. So then it's a lot of editing out, you know, cutting the fluff and mm. getting you know, more direct and to the point. So you can so, you, you can probably kind of bob and weave on stage based on your audience then because you're not sticking to a script. No, exactly. I mean, I have my jokes, core jokes, and I kind of have I have a rhythm and and kind of, uh, you know, a way that I tell them an order, if you will. But I also because I don't you know, I don't write out set lists and I don't have a particular script. I can weave away from it and I can do them out of order, too. That's the other thing. Sometimes, you know, something happens and I get pulled in a different direction with in do it's still doing my material, you know, and then I can pull it back and go back to some of this other material or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's made. And it, I feel like too, being more, less scripted on stage, even though I'm scripted and I'm telling my own jokes and doing my own material, I come off more. I feel like I come off more likable and more, almost more approachable, you know, like people are, and people can tell that I'm there to have fun. I'm not just, got to do my word for word bit Mm -hmm. what type Uh, of audience what type of audience do you uh like the most (laughs) uh an audience my age Uh (laughs) plus or minus like five years I totally Which dig is that. Terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I cuz that's actually something I've talked a lot about on the podcast too is that cuz I'm very self-aware and I feel like I have a weird I have a dem, my demographic is really my age plus or minus 5 years and so I, I struggle with older audiences and I struggle, struggle with younger audiences and things like that, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm, you know, and that's something that I'm aware of. So I'm always trying to uh, work on that to make that better. Yeah. You know, I'm aware that, uh, that, 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 that happens. So yeah. <laughs> I try to do better. And a lot of that 
comes to being relatable, you know, like that's where I really focus on the kind of material too, that I do, you know, Mm -hmm. like talking about being divorced and marriage and life isn't very relatable to people in their younger twenties because not most of them haven't experienced that. Oh yeah. And then going into an older audience and making all kinds of video game references or, or nerd references or whatever it may be, they're not going to necessarily get the references. So it's really about, you know, you got to really figure out your material, the kind of material that's going to work for the audience. Mm. I think you probably experience the same thing I do when you go up on stage and the audience is mostly 20 somethings you can just see him going oh no (laughs) i mean absolutely you you get judged as soon as you walk up you don't even have to say a word yeah oh no i i did uh as for a, a kind of a favor for a friend her son i did i i did their post prom party and i I, you know, I did it really cheap because it was somebody that I went to school with or whatever. And I was opening, basically, they had also hired a hypnotist. So I was opening for him. I had to do like a half hour. And at that time, I was very eager just to take any gig because I was, you know, I just moved back to the area trying to get out there. Yada, yada, yada. Well, I go to this gig. It's also post prom. So it's like at one in the morning. But I walked into the auditorium and I'm just hanging out kind of talking to this hypnotist guy who I'd just met. And then, you know, the kids start coming in, sitting in the bleachers. And I'm like, I literally was just like to myself. And I, I think I've said it out loud. I was like, yeah, this is going to be real interesting because everything I'm going to joke about, you're not going to get a lot of the stuff they didn't laugh at because they didn't understand it. Of course, some of the adults that were there, and the teachers and the parents that were there were laughing at the material, but uh-huh. the kids were just staring at me like, why did they hire this guy? Uh-huh. And then, you know, and then in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, that was, I was not a good fit for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you something I've done the, this works for me and it helps me get different audience members on my side. When I have a mixed audience, I pepper my act with, um, young language, young slang and old slang. Um, and I, I refer to my wife as my boo, my bae and my shorty throughout the act. Um, and then I use words like bonk and, uh, golly gee willikers. And the funny thing is you mesh them all together and young people just laugh crazy at you just because of the way you say the words so that's that's something i learned and it's uh i'm learning a a whole new language by doing it too (laughs) yeah yeah that's uh, then that's another thing too is is language is a good example of that because you know younger younger people have different slang than older people and and if you're not up to date on things you're you're gonna come across very goofy (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) And the nice thing is, is we have the internet and there's like slang thesauruses out there and you can, you can do all kinds of stuff with it. I, I research words all the time just so I can say the right word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Researches. And that goes back to learning, you know, and, and listening, you know, listening isn't just with your ears when somebody talks, Mm. listening is also observation and it's, it's observation of your, your audiences and your shows and, and looking and analyzing what worked, what didn't, you know, 
different and, and kind of figuring out what you can do to be better in the situation the next time. Mm. When you, when you got to the point where you were ready and, and you knew you were ready, you could, you could either, um, feature or headline or whatever. What did you do with uh, club owners to sell yourself, to get yourself gigs? Well, I'm still in that process. So that's, that's a thing that, and that's a learning process. A lot of what I end up doing, especially because, you know, I was doing okay in out in California, as far as uh, my level, you know, I was starting to get more feature spots and more headlining spots, but it didn't really pay. You know, a lot of them are show, they do showcase style shows. There's mm-hmm. not really, you know, in the Midwest, it's more of a, you know, three person show where you have an MC feature headliner. Sometimes there's a guest spot. So it's very, you know, that's the way it, most shows in the Midwest are out there. It was, like I said, you might have 10 comics on a show. So there wasn't, you're not getting a lot of stage time. So mm. I moved part of the reason I moved back to the Midwest is because I wanted to start featuring more, wanted to start working the road more so I could get more time and develop my skills as a feature and a headliner. Um, as far as reaching out to clubs and stuff, I just, you know, I'm still working on trying to figure that out. A lot of times I just email their, uh, their website, you know, if they have like an info or, or if they have a booking contact or that kind of thing. And I, you know, ask what the submission process is. Another thing in the Midwest that a lot of people don't necessarily know, but a lot of comedy clubs don't do their own booking. They use booking agencies, mm-hmm. you know, where because they don't have the time to to do the booking themselves or the network. So they just want to run a club. So they'll hire another company to do the booking. And so then it's a matter of trying to find out who books the club and what you need to do to submit and what they're you know kind of looking for and things like that. Uh, and trying to, and the, the best thing I can say is that when you do get booked at a gig, do your best and mm-hmm. d- you put as much as you can into it, but also, and more importantly, be nice, be nice. Uh-huh. You know, if you show <laughs> up and you're a host or a, a feature and you're a jerk to everybody, they're not going to want you to come back. That's and right. those comics that you're working with aren't going to work, want to work with you. Mm-hmm. And then they're also going to tell other people that you're a jerk. Yep. And then other people aren't going to want, you're going to get a reputation where people aren't going to want to work with you because you're not nice. Yep. You know, Word in the comedy community travels fast and it goes coast to coast. (laughs) No, absolutely. And it doesn't take much to be nice. You know, you don't being nice is just simply, you know, learning the staff's names, uh, you know, and and treating them like people. And and, but just staying out of the way, too, you know, and Mm -hmm. not necessarily having to talk with them, like just being, you know, being aware that they're there plays a huge part in how, you know, being nice to other, other people. Right. Have you ever worked with a, a feature that, uh, just was so bad that they killed the room for you? Well, I don't know necessarily about, cause like I said, I'm still, a lot of the stuff that I've headlined is my own independent stuff that mm-hmm. I've booked myself. So I've, pretty much brought my own people because it's all been independent stuff. So I haven't had to deal with that, but I mean, I've obviously been on shows with comics that 
did terrible and mm. killed the whole room yeah. from open mics to showcases to, you know, regular shows. It happened. I mean, I've probably been that feature. I know I've been that feature. <laughs> I know I've had shows. I I did a casino gig and I was, te- I was a terrible feature, not because I, I was trying, but I just was not, the audience just was not with me. And then, and it wasn't like I was doing all new material. I was doing material that is proven funny yeah. at other shows. I just, that particular weekend, that audience was, all the audiences weren't having me, you know? <laughs> uh, and so I definitely felt, you know, the host did a great job and I definitely felt like I killed the energy because uh-huh. I, I did horrible, you know? <laughs> Did that give you the idea for the Art of Bombing podcast? No, by that time I was already doing this podcast. Okay. So that just gave me more to talk about. <laughs> more more fuel, right? Uh, yeah. It was a it was a corporate gig that that got me to inspire the Art of Bombing podcast. Uh-huh. Um yeah, it was uh it was just a bad situation. A lot of it boiled down to it wasn't after I listened back to the audio, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but at the same time, a lot of it was just inexperience. Mm-hmm. That's why it is bad. That's why I didn't do well. It was inexperience. Mm. But at the time and in the moment, I felt like I did horrible. Like I said, I almost right after the show, I was re- had, basically had a comedy breakdown where I was like, oh, I got to quit comedy. I'm not good at this. There's no way I can keep doing this. You know, and I had to call one of my comedy buddies, Nathan Holtz, who I mentioned, you know, earlier about being one of the standouts when I first started. You know, I called him and I was and he had to talk me off the ledge. And I was like, <laughs> it just wait till tomorrow, Dan. Just tomorrow's a new day. Uh-huh. You'll feel better. You know, that kind of thing or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I was like ready to quit. And then, you know, obviously I didn't. And uh, but yeah, so that's what inspired the podcast, because then after that, I started thinking about that's what really pivoted me to start looking more at failure than the good shows and to see what I needed to do to improve, to get better. And then from that, I decided I wanted to start talking to other people about it Mm. to see what they thought. Because when I started this podcast too, there wasn't any kind of a podcast like this where they were looking at the, the failure in comedy and and that perspective, you know, it was Mm. all the good stuff fun shows, parties, after parties, <laughs> killing on stage, you know, all that stuff. Nobody was talking about this. And so I thought, well, this is a unique uh, perspective. And and it was cool because as I've did it over time, I've learned, like I said, that bombing is part of comedy. And every comic that I've talked to will admit this for the most part. But we don't always talk about it because we don't want to talk about it, you know, because it's bad. It's like reliving a horrible trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> for a comedian. <laughs> and as a, as a comic, I feel like you almost have to build up a callus, uh, for the bombing because I think, I, I think most people have had the experience that you had where you, you had to call somebody to talk you off the ledge. You were going to quit comedy and then bombing always sucks still, but, it gets to the point where, okay, I bombed next show is going to be better and just move on from it. And, and always, always make sure you know why you bombed so that you can make yourself better for that type of audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, that's, you have to make yourself better. Like you, there's always, 
continuous improvement is a big thing in everything in all aspects of life, I feel like. And that's something coming from, you know, before I did comedy, I worked in a corporate world that was big on continuous improvement. Like that was a thing, always <laughs> trying to get better, to make our products better uh-huh. and, you know, make our clients and customers happier and, and things like that. And I've always kind of applied that to life is, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. And I can always be better. So, how do I, what steps do I have to take to get better? Mm-hmm. And I feel like everybody can, it's all about, you know, like I said, continuous improvement, get better, be better. Yeah. That's, that's funny. My company does that, the, the continuous improvement thing. So I, I can totally dig that. I can, I, I can actually apply that to myself. Uh, now, now that you mentioned it. So that's, you gave me a good nugget there. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's one of them things that's like an, it's a, it's, you know, it's a small phrase or or thing, but it can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Continuous improvement. I mean, it's two words, but it's very, those two words are very impactful Mm -hmm. when you start applying it to things. Yeah. One of the things that I've been talking with some comics about, and I just one on the podcast, but I've talked to a lot of people offline is uh, the, kind of the cancel culture that, that we're experiencing right now. And I wanted to bounce this off you because, you know, obviously you're kind of a, a, a clean storytelling comic and, and you're not, um, you're not one of those, you know, over, over the top type of guys like a Jim Norton or whatever. And um, we've got a lot of folks that are kind of getting, beat up for stuff that they did years ago. What's your take on that? You know, when do you think people need to be forgiven and for what types of things can they be forgiven for? Oh man. Well, I feel like it depends on the seriousness, seriousness of the, what it is. I mean, cancel culture goes more from more than just saying words. I mean, part of it is behavior, you know, I mean, you look at comics, there's a lot of, uh, lot of uh sexual abuse and sexual predators in comedy there's Mm. discrimination against women and things like that you know so it really depends on the severity i mean i feel like everybody you know if they do the work that's the other thing you know some comics don't want to do the work they're just like i said it then and blah 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 and Mm. you know i'm still this way and i don't care and it's my life, you know, that kind of thing or whatever. And well, they obviously don't want to change, but then, you know, take somebody. Cause even I did material that I'm not proud of and I can acknowledge it and I have acknowledged it and I've, you know, apologized for it. And then I work to be a better performer. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's gotta be some leeway with, you know, different things that people said and have done in the past, because another thing people don't, People don't realize either. I mean, there's it's there's so many variables that need to to be thought about before you just like oh canceled. And I think that's where you know younger generations don't quite grasp that concept. They're mm-hmm. just so eager, especially with the internet now and social media. We're just so quick to cancel. Like that's our our thing now. We just oh said a bad word, cancel. You know which. Yeah. Then you got to, there's so many other variables. You got to look at the time that it was said too. Cause a lot of some of these jokes, while they might not have aged well, and if they said them today, they would not be good. And they would have, you know, they definitely be, you know, ran out or whatever. But back when they did the joke, 
it was probably socially acceptable yeah. to do that joke, you know? So that's the other thing. It's you got to look at how society has changed and evolved over time. And how has the performer changed and evolved over time? Is that performer doing that same joke that they did then now, you know, I mean, or have, has their material evolved? Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's funny, you know, two things. I'm really glad nobody was recording me and there wasn't internet when I was young because I, I would, uh, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have, uh, fared very well in, in, in the comedy industry. Um, if people knew how I was back then, you know, the things I said and did. And the other thing is, is I, um, I've been rewatching the Larry Sanders show with, uh, Gary Shandling and, I tell you what, they could not do that show today. <laughs> and I mean, you talk about sexist and racist comments and stuff like that. I mean, they just, they, they ran the gamut on it. Yeah, definitely. They definitely did. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's with anything though. I mean, you look at even, you know, stuff that, you know, comedy from the seventies and to the eighties and to the nineties and the two thousands. And now the 2020s, like it's all, it's constantly evolving as society evolves mm. and how communication can be out there. That's another thing, you know, back in those times, you didn't have the internet to things to go viral or, you know, people to be put in their place right away. People said things and they didn't get called out on it because not because people weren't willing to call them out. It's just that nobody knew they were doing it. Right. You know? Yeah. So, and I think it, as uh, we, you know, I think as we evolve, I think that, you know, people my age, especially just need to watch and listen like what you do and, uh, adjust the way we behave by what the social norms are supposed to be now, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that doesn't well, mean that doesn't mean it was right when we did it back in the seventies. Um, but it, it doesn't, it amplifies the fact that it's wrong now because we, we need to treat people better. No, absolutely. And that's a continuous improvement. It goes back to that. Yeah. It's continuous improvement. You always strive to be better, do better and get better. That's, and, and as people, as humanity in general, we can do that, it, you know, and we should all be striving to do that. Mm. So I asked this question to just about everybody I've had on the podcast, and I'm going to shoot it over to you, Dan. Um, what are the three things that you know about stand-up comedy now that you wish you would have known when you started? Uh, I wish I would have knew the, what what comedy really was, <laughs> you know, like I said, I had, uh, I had a different, uh, vision of what comedy was. And that was from what I saw on TV. I wish that I knew, I wish I knew what you really had to sacrifice to do comedy, what it actually takes, mm -hmm. you know, like that goes back to, to kind of what you see on TV. You just assume, oh, you'd start comedy. You go to L.A., you get on TV, boom, you're there. That's not the case. You know, most people that get end up being successful have been doing comedy for 20 years before they even blow up. Mm -hmm. you know? And they've been doing a lot of stuff in the background and that kind of thing. So that would have been a nice thing to know. And uh, what really would have been nice to know is how, where to get, like how to get, 
reach out to bookers and find shows. You know, mm-hmm. there's no there's no real guide on how to start comedy. You know, like yeah. man, and now we have the internet and and people have written a lot of stuff now about that kind of thing. But when I started, I had no clue about what it took to get booked at a club or, you know, a show or anything, or mm. even how to really find a show. I mean, the internet was around, but it was just kind of starting, you mm-hmm. know? I, um, kind of, the only thing I like about this whole, uh, pandemic thing is the clubs that I never knew about are coming out of the woodwork and doing those virtual shows. And the mm-hmm. stuff shows up on my timeline cause I get in these different groups and stuff and um, I'm making notes of all these clubs because I, you know, I never knew about them before, but now I know about them. And when, you know, if things ever go back to normal, then they're on my list now. So that's, that's the one good thing. Yeah, no, that, that is a good, good point. Yeah. I've seen that too. I've been kind of taking note of clubs. And then I, like I said, I read, I've been trying to reach out uh, and find out what, what I need to do to, uh, to um submit to them you know yeah um so dan what types first of all how can people find you um both the podcast and your comedy page uh so i have a website danbooblets.com you can find me there also i have most of my social media is at d booblets comedy uh i'm on twitter instagram and uh, TikTok, I have a comedy Facebook page. You can follow that as well. Uh, and then the Art of Bombing, it's the same. We have the artofbombingpod.com. So that's the main website. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. It's iTunes, Google. Uh, well, I guess it's Apple now, not iTunes. But, you know, wherever all podcast apps have it. Um, and then the social media for that is Art of Bombing Pod. So mm. that's both on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So, like I said, the Facebook page is a real good way to support the and see the latest episodes and try to get you know involved in what we're doing with that. Mm-hmm. And I I just have to say you know and I I'm I'm not bullshitting here. Um, yours is one of the podcasts that I make an effort to listen to because it's it's got it's got content, it's got meat to it, and uh, I re- I really really enjoy it. Oh, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel good because that's uh, at the end of the day, that's what I'm trying to achieve. I'm I you know I don't make any money doing my podcast. I I get the enjoyment of having the conversations with people, but which is great, but you know, the whole point of the re- that I do it is that hopefully it helps somebody else get better. So yeah. when I hear good feedback like that, I really appreciate it. Yeah. And a podcast is just a money black hole. <laughs> it's just, it's just like it, open it your, really open your wallet and watch the money get sucked into it. <laughs> yep. And the, the, the more you want to do well, the more it costs. I mean, all the little tips and tricks that you can do and, uh, you know, Google ads and all that kind of stuff. It, it just costs money. So yeah, I, I totally yep. dig that, but, uh, it's, it's a labor of love. So that that's all it needs to be. <laughs> yep. That's exactly it. Labor of love. Cause like you said, as time goes and you want to do better with the podcast, that means you invest more money on equipment yep. and things like that. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I got to uh, tell you, this roadcaster I got is the best piece of equipment I've ever had. 
Yeah, I, yeah, the equipment, it's amazing. I have, you know, I have a Yamaha mixing board. I have mm. a, a Zoom. I have, you know, a new mic for my computer. And, you know, I just upgraded my computer and all this different stuff, you know. So I'm, like, always spending money. And, like I said, gonna, we're going to go full circle. It all goes back to continuous improvement. Yep, 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 no doubt. And when I think about the stuff I used when I started, I'm like, oh, my God. How, how did I even put those out? <laughs> I think that a lot, especially the fact that uh, I use my phone to record a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> my yeah. early ones. So, <laughs> all right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. There was a lot of good stuff here. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best, uh, both with your comedy career and your podcast. I, I, I think you're a good guy and you're doing, you're doing good stuff out there. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, keep listening to the podcast and yeah, and do it up. Keep yeah. getting better, everybody.